something-year-old woman who had a heart attack and was taken to the hospital. And while on the operating table, she had a near-death experience. During that experience, she saw what she thought was heaven, and, and she asked God, is this it? Is this my time? And God said no, and he went on to explain to her that she still had another 30 years to live. Well, upon her recovery, she came to, and she decided that while she was in the hospital after recovering from her, her heart surgery, that she would just stay in the hospital, and, and since she's got 30 years, she would go ahead and have a, a facelift and some liposuction and, and some tummy tucking and other, all those other things that you can do to make yourself look young and, and, um, and young again. And so she even had someone come in and change her hair color, and she just had a completely different makeover, and she figured, since I've got 30 years, I might as well make the most of it. And so she walked out of the hospital after the last operation, and, and as she was crossing the street, a speeding ambulance was coming by, and it, and it ran her over, and she died. And so she stood before the Lord once again, and she said, Lord, I thought you said I had another 30 years. And God replied, well, you did, but I didn't recognize you. That's the best I've got on Thanksgiving weekend, sorry. And so, uh, well, we have been walking our way through the book of Ephesians. And we have, this is week 13 by my count. Um, that's a long time to walk through one, one text, um, one long text. But uh, as we've walked our way through this book, I hope that you have been given a picture of what it looks like to be Christ's both what it looks like and how you think of yourself, how you think of God, how you respond to God, how you live for God, all of those things that, that Ephesians, in such a beautiful way, um, outlines for us and shows us this is what it looks like. Because as God looks down, he, uh, several places in Scripture, talks about he knows those who are his, and it's not the physical features that he's looking at, it's the, it's the heart characteristics that of people who are his that he knows and he looks at. And so I hope we have been able to, through my feeble attempts, reflect beautifully on, on a beautiful text, on a beautiful uh, book, a letter, and been encouraged by that to be more and more like Jesus. And so as we look at the final words of Ephesians today, I, I want to simply remind you of why our confidence needs to stay in Christ and in him alone. But it's significant that Paul's last words to us, they do point us in the direction of, hey, don't, don't ever lose your foundation of Christ. But he says, don't stand there alone. You need somebody else. You need somebody else's uh, to be there and to stand there with you, to keep encouraging you in that journey. And that's where we come in our text today in, in chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. The end of Paul's little letter says this, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. And so peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. There are several things that we're going to highlight from this, but really just one of them, it's the issue of encouragement and the beauty of encouragement and the purpose and the need for encouragement. You see, churches and Christians need information, not just about what's going on around them. As, as Paul writes this, again, he's removed. He's probably in Rome writing to Ephesus hundreds and hundreds of miles away, and he's writing <clears throat> excuse me, to encourage them 
um, in their faith. And so everything he has written, I think, has been written to encourage them in this journey with Christ. But I think it's helpful for us sometimes to pause because we can get a little focused on just me and mine and my little circle of the world. But every time I get a, uh, in the mail, I get a letter from Ted and Bev Skiles in Taiwan, or I get an email from folks in Guatemala, or I know people who live in Illinois where we used to preach, and their newsletter comes, and, and it's just something helpful and encouraging to open up those documents and to hear and to see and to read the things that are going on there. Because as you do, you're reminded that, that God is bigger than just me and mine and where I'm at, and, and that can be encouraging. Um, to realize, you know what, God is faithful, not just here, but he's faithful all over the world. And so Paul is writing to the Ephesian Christians for that very purpose, to remind them that though, although they are very separated because of their circumstances in life, um, Paul wants them to know that, hey, God is still faithful to me here in Rome. God is still faithful to you in Ephesus and the surrounding regions. And so let's continue to be his. Let's continue to live lives that allow others to see, hey, those are Jesus's people. They belong to him and they are living for him. And in chapter 6, verse 22, Paul just reminds the whole audience of those reading or hearing this letter for the first time of why he sent it and who he sent it with. Again, Tychicus delivered the letter, and he says there are two purposes for them receiving this letter. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, right? We all want to know how those relatives who couldn't join us for Thanksgiving were. Maybe you wanted to know. Um, but They wanted to know how Paul was. Uh, they wanted to know how he was. And then finally he says, and that he may encourage you. Paul knew that the life that the Ephesian Christians were living out in Ephesus was not always easy. There were some struggles. There were some burdens. There was temptations. There was pressure. There were some scowls from some in town because of their faith. And so it wasn't always easy. And so he wanted to encourage them. And so I want us to think about that idea of just biblical encouragement here today very quickly as we finish this letter. Because what is encouragement? Now, encouragement can be, it can be a very simple things. Um, like if you remove the biblical encouragement from it, it can be just, hey, you're, you played a great game the other night when I'm talking to one of my kids. Or um, maybe I can come to one of the ladies at church and say, oh, man, I'm sure your hair looked beautiful before you left home and the wind got a hold of it today. That could be a very beautiful thing. That was a Sunday school joke for Linda. And so uh, that was, uh, uh, but there could be lots of, a lot of flattering things we can say, right, to each other. But biblical encouragement has another layer to it, a deeper layer to it than just, hey, I like your superficial things, and, or good job with those superficial things. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. We should do those things too. But I love what Larry Crabb described encouragement as in, in, in a book he wrote many years ago. It says, encouragement is the kind of expression that helps someone want to be a better Christian. That, I think, takes encouragement from just, hey, patting somebody on the back for any job well done. But as Christians, I think we are invited, we are called to encourage at a different level. That we are called to interact with each other in, in a kinds of expressions that are motivating you not to just feel good about yourself, but, but to want to follow Jesus in a better way, to be a better Christian. And so I would just like for us to think about how that plays out. And what Paul has done as he has written this letter, uh, I think is, 
is one of those things that is an illustration of that. You see, encouragement ought to be a part of our life. We need to be intentional about that because in, because, uh, I don't think I have put the slide up here. I forgot to add the slide. So in your first sermon, that little blank there, I think you just need to understand that biblical encouragement is not an accident. Biblical encouragement happens because you are intentional with it. And so Paul is being intentional to, to make sure that these Ephesian Christians both receive the letter he wants them to, to, to have the teachings and the ideas he wants them to have, but also he sends it with a close personal friend that both he knows and they know so that they will be encouraged, not just with information, but to be encouraged to be better Christians, to be more faithful in their walk with Christ. And so that trait is something that Paul was characteristic, characterized by, and we ought to be as well. In fact, Paul would write this in 1 Thessalonians 5.11 to, to another church. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. So there needs to be that ongoing thing because life is always hard. Every week brings new challenges, new hurdles, new obstacles into our life. And we always need someone to come along and say, hey, what can I say? What can I do? What can I be in your life that will help you to be a better Christian this week? Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25 illustrates the importance of the intentionality of that, that we should be thoughtful before we gather in this place uh, of how we will do that. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards toward love and good deeds, excuse me, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see that day approaching. That little phrase, consider, is just that thoughtfulness, right? It's, it's like you're, you, you want to buy a Christmas present for someone you love, and so you can do the options of give no thought to it and just show up at the store on Christmas Eve an hour before they close and just grab the last thing. That's not considering, right? But considering means I start early, Maybe I listen. Maybe I pay attention to them. Maybe I, I give thought to, hey, how could I really build them up? How could I show them that I love them? How could I respond to a need in their life? Considering is the, a thoughtful approach. And, and oftentimes we are so stressed and busy in life that, that at least for me, I just show up at church and, and I just got things to do. And, and I haven't taken the time to stop and think, you know what? What am I going to say? to people that I know are hurting, or what, what could I do for someone today that I know that's had a rough week, or what could I do to rejoice with someone who's rejoicing because things are going well in their life, and we don't take the time oftentimes to consider how we may spur one another on through our encouragement. And so I think the, the idea of being intentional with our encouragement is, is, is something that we can never hear a reminder enough of because it's something that we can quickly forget. You see, Paul was being intentional with his, his words, his efforts, and that's exactly what he has done, not just here at the end of the letter, but if you remember back in chapter 4, verse 29, Paul gave us these words about just the importance, the value of, of the words that we choose. He says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And so Paul is practicing what he has already preached to them in this letter through Tychicus's ministry. That's a hard word to say. Through the ministry of Tychicus, we'll say it that way. Through his ministry, um, 
He is encouraging them, and so he is practicing this. I love what the message um, paraphrase uh, uses to describe this word. He says this about Ephesians 6, 22, or 21 and 22. It says, Tychicus, my good friend here, will tell you what I'm doing and how things are going with me. He is certainly a dependable servant of the master. I have sent him not only to tell you about us, but to cheer you on in your faith. That is the picture that I, I hope that as we leave this letter, as you think about well, what is Ephesians? Ephesians is not just some theological treatise that Paul wrote so that we would have decades and centuries of debate about certain words and ideas. There is a lot of theology in it. Paul didn't write this just for us to debate theology or ideas that come from it. Uh, he, he wanted them to be encouraged. He wanted to cheer them on in their faith because we all need some cheering in our faith. And so what does encouragement look like? Uh, I want to just review the, the letter that we have looked at over these past 12, 13 weeks and, and, and three themes that I think that we have said before. I'm going to remind you of them again today because I think they are valuable to continue to remind ourselves of because throughout my daily, my weekly struggles and busyness and, and just different things that come, I forget them. And so I, I want to just remind you of what encouragement to each other does. Number one, I think encouragement to each other, it looks like this. It helps you how you see your life. That encouragement as we minister to each other helps how we see our life, right? When I'm encouraging you, I'm encouraging you to see your life in a certain way. I'm encouraging you to think about your life in a certain way. And I put the phrase uh, seated with Christ there on that because remember the outline we gave at the beginning of this letter? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Uh, but uh, the outline that we used at the beginning of this letter that you can divide Ephesians into maybe three sections. And the first one was chapters one through three where Paul talks about the beauty that because of all that God has done through Christ for us that we can now be seated with Christ. And it's the picture of a finished work it's the picture of, of, remember when Jesus on the cross says, it is finished, that God had done something in Christ that did something that we could never do. And so now when he says that we can be seated, it's the idea that the, the main work is done. Now, that doesn't mean we're lazy or slothful, unattentive. We'll get to that in point number two. But the wrestling part of how do I have a relationship with God? How do I, how do I know God? How do I relate to God? That stuff is done because of what God has done in Christ. You see, Satan works overtime to promote a gospel that someone has called the gospel of attainment versus atonement. That he wants you to be convinced that you need to do, 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 and perform, 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 and then if you get it just right, then maybe God would love you, or God would show you favor, or God would be pleased with you. And that gospel promises a lot, but it delivers Little, In fact, it delivers a great deal of discouragement. Um, it's Christmas season now, and so we can, some of you have been listening to Christmas music for six months, but for most of you, you can turn the radio dial on to Christmas music and Christmas movies. And, and when I think of Christmas movies, I know that there's the same movie we all think of. It's Rocky IV, right? Rocky IV is the best Christmas movie ever. Um, and so, in my humble opinion, and there's a scene in Rocky IV, I, this picture doesn't show up very nice, but do you remember in Rocky, it doesn't show up at all, actually, it just looks like a black thing. And so let's just pretend with me here for a second. 
If you've ever seen Rocky IV, if you haven't, it's a nice, windy, cold afternoon. Go find it and just cuddle up with the kids and watch two people beat each other up. It's great afternoon entertainment. And so remember uh, uh, Rocky Balboa in Rocky IV loses his dear friend Apollo when uh, the vicious steroid monster guy from Russia comes and, and kills him in the ring. His name is Ivan Drago. And so Drago then, then challenges um, uh, Rocky and they have the big fight in Russia and, and away from all the, the hubbub of America. And so there's the scene in every Rocky movie where they have the training scene, right? Where everybody trains, everybody's um, pushing themselves to the max. And, and Rocky is out in a cabin somewhere while Ivan Drago was on a treadmill. Have you ever had to do a stress test on a treadmill or had to run on a treadmill? Um, treadmills are not bad things, but there's one thing I've always learned about a treadmill, that I can never beat the treadmill. And so if you, if you watch the training regiment, they get they faster and faster, and they keep raising that treadmill up higher and higher, and Ivan Drago just keeps keeping up with it, but eventually, even the mighty Ivan Drago gets beat by the treadmill, right? He just can't max it out, because the treadmill always has another speed, it has another level, right? It can always outdo you. Now, I was going to try to get a video of me on a treadmill, but that would be boring. So I, it's, it's uh, four, three miles an hour, four miles an hour, five miles an hour, and we're just struggling to keep up. And so, but a treadmill is, is a frustrating place to run on. And when I trained for my, I've run a few half marathons, and I don't say that to boast, I just say that as a fact. And so if it's boastful, that's okay too. Um, I should have won my medals today, I guess too. Because um, <laughs> runners are known for doing that, right? It's like, did you know that I ran a half marathon? And so, but when I ran, trained for my first half marathon, it was, we're going to run in April, and so I was thought, who would go run out when it's cold? So I, I got a gym membership, and I trained in a treadmill, and I remember the first time I ran 12 miles on a treadmill, and if you want to be, like, there's that highway hypnosis when you're driving, but if you want to be hypnotized, go run 12 miles on a treadmill, um, because I was zoned out, and I think there's a timer on the treadmill that after a certain amount of time, if it stays on, eventually it just shuts down, because I think somebody, some idiot has forgotten to turn me off, and so it just shut down, and so I'm not paying attention at all and the treadmill just shuts down at 12 miles and I about wiped out and it was an embarrassing thing and um, that's why I haven't been to the gym in 12 years, right? So as I nurture this thing. And so, um, but a treadmill is, is a frustrating place to be. It's, it can be productive, you can do some things with it, but um, the treadmill always wins. And so if your approach to your relationship with God is do, 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 and perform, 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 try harder, try harder, hoping that you can earn God's favor that is always going to defeat you. And so what Paul has gone to great lengths to show us in Ephesians is that you were not just a sick person who needed a little treatment to get better that you could just do yourself, but he wanted to remind you of that you were dead. And it's only through the power of God in Christ that, that we can be brought back to life again uh, through the gracious act of God in our life. And so there's two approaches to that. One is I'm resting and I'm seated with Christ because he has done all the hard work. He has done the work versus too many of us just get caught up thinking, man, if I can just be good enough, impress God enough, do enough good things, then maybe God will be pleased with me. But through the gospel, God announces to us that God is already pleased with us, not because we were right or because we got our act together. He's pleased with us because he loves us and shows us grace. Listen to what Paul wrote again in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and following. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich 
in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions it is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms so Christ's work is done right so Christ when he ascended it says he sat down at the right hand of the of God and just like if we are united with Christ now we can sit with him as well in order that just in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast and so what does it mean to be an encourager to somebody I think one of the most helpful things that we Christians can do for each other is to know a book like Ephesians well and just remind each other of, hey, you are a child, you are a son of the king, you are a daughter of the king, you are a child of the, God, of, of the king, it, by grace you are forgiven, you are, you are well. And we don't have to play this silly game of, of attaining something that Christ has already won for us in his work. And so it's important for us to remember where we live. And that should change then how we live. Number two, the second thing I want you to see is how you live. You see, how, what do we do when we encourage each other? We want to help shape the way that we think about one another, but we also want to shape the way of how we live our life. And, and that's the walking like Christ part. Uh, number two, that how you live your life and walking like Christ. That was chapters four through most of chapter six that Paul wrote. You see, what you believe, Paul says, if you are seated next to Christ... Paul goes on to say, because you are seated there, and if you are in the presence of Christ, then you ought to be listening to, to what Christ says, what Christ wants, looking at what Christ does and what Christ is, and that ought to begin to shape your life. That ought to begin to, to be um, a, a reflection of that in your daily life. Your life should reflect that. So we sit in Christ and we walk like Christ. And that's what he talks about in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You and I should walk like people who are getting directions for life from the one that you sit with. We are called to walk like saints. Um, and I love our beautiful stained glass windows. And if you come in here when it's just dark enough and maybe there's a light on this side and that hallway out there is dark and the light shines through and it creates a beautiful light. Um, there was once a story I heard and I couldn't find the origin of it, but I remember the story, the quote from it was the idea that a little girl once described, what's a saint? Like when you think of what's a saint in the Bible and she used the definition that someone that the light shines through, thinking of a stained glass window, because she would see in the old church the stained glass windows where light would shine and it would illuminate um, the room. And what is a saint? What does it mean to be Christ? I think it means that you are someone that the light shines through. And so if you're seated next to Christ, if you have been united with Christ, then your life ought to be a life that reflects that. And that's what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 8 and 9. It says, for, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. 
We are called to be reflections. We are called to be lights. And the worst thing that I could ever do in my life is to live my way in such a way that, that the light can't shine through. In fact, that's what Paul reflects on in chapter 4, verse 30, that, that grieves God's spirit on us, that when the light can't shine through and all we show is darkness to a world, that's the, that, that grieves him. Because all that God is trying to do is show, shine his light through us to a world that needs to see it. When it says this in Ephesians 4, 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And so he went on to talk in that chapter, remember the kind of things that we can't do anymore if I want light to shine through me. No more lying and no more stealing. No more getting angry all the time and blaming, blaming other people for it. No more refusing to forgive. No more foul language or coarse joking. No more sexual or impurity of any kind. No more greed. And on and on he went. Those are the kinds of things that break the heart of God because his light can't shine through the darkness in our life. So what does it mean to encourage each other? Maybe sometimes encouragement goes a little harder and deeper when, when you and I as walking together and brothers and sisters, and I say this in the context of, of love and encouragement and grace, that sometimes the kindest thing someone could say to me is, that doesn't look like something that a child of the light would be doing or saying. Um, and that can hurt, right? When we get confronted by someone that loves us, um, again, this is not Pharisees throwing stones at each other. This is in the context of, of when we love each other and we're trying to help each other. Um, but I love what Ephesians, or Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 says, when it says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You see, if we're not encouraging each other in this way, what does sin do to us? Sin hardens our hearts. And just like God wants light to be able to shine through our life, he wants our hearts to be soft before him. And that if I continue down a path of, of sin, if I continue to allow sin to, to dominate me and to rule over my life, what I allow is for the light to become dim, for my heart to grow hard. And so I, I need to work especially hard um, to receive that when someone who loves me, my wife, my friends, when they speak into my life and say, hey, that's not a very good attitude or that's not a very Christ-like thing, I need to be humble enough to receive that. And sometimes I need to be courageous enough to lovingly have that conversation too. And so in chapter six, we are seated with Christ. We are to walk and to live like Christ. And then finally at chapter six, Paul gets to the third thing he has reminded us of, to finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. And so we are encouraged to sit with Christ. We are encouraged to walk like Christ. And finally, number three, we are encouraged to stand in Christ. You see, encouragement is all about how do you, how do you sustain your life? How are you going to sustain this journey in a world where, according to this text, there's an enemy who is always trying to trip you up? There's an enemy who is always out to ruin and discourage and accuse you and just destroy every good thing that God wants to do in your life. How are you going to sustain that life? Paul says at the end of his letter, you have to stand in Christ. You have to stand in him, you have to stand with him, you have to stand through him. You see, Paul wants to remind us once again that we are in a war 
And it's a, a war that we didn't start, but we can't escape. And there's not a neutral place I can stand. I've got to pick a side. Even though our enemy is defeated at the cross, he, Satan was defeated there. But he's not ex, ex, he's not executed yet, I guess is the word. Uh, he still roams. He still works. He's still trying to, to disrupt all that God is doing in the world. And when Jesus comes back, the enemy will be thrown into the lake of fire. But until then, he will do all that he can to create all the hell on earth that he possibly can. And his goal for you is to put you into a place where you were ineffective. He wants to discourage you from thinking about your life from a heavenly perspective. And he wants to discourage you from, from living your life that would reflect Jesus. So you have to find a, the ability to stand in Christ. And so where do you do that? Paul reflects on that with us when he says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And if you were to go back and look in the book of Ephesians, two or three places, Paul has emphasized the power of God shown to us through the person of Christ, through his death and through his resurrection. That that power can help us to stand. And that's what we need diligently for our life. I've seen some pictures. It's that time of year now that winter is almost upon us. And um, I saw some pictures of some friends who were skiing over the weekend and were just reminded of... um, of the one time I got to go skiing on a real mountain, right? When I lived in Illinois, every Martin Luther King holiday, January time, we would take our group from Illinois and we would go up to Andalusia, Iowa, where there's this ski resort, resort uh, in the Iowa, Illinois version of a resort. Um, and it was small hills. It was a fun time. I did it five, six, seven years in a row. Loved it. It was a wonderful experience, a great place to go. And I finally thought we were, we were going to Colorado to see some friends and Bobby Joe had a cousin that said, hey, I can tag along with them. So I went to this mountain by myself to try to ski on a mountain because I thought, I can do this. I, I, I've skied in Iowa. I can ski in Colorado. It can't be that much different. And so I went and I spent the morning on the little bunny hill and did okay there. I thought, okay. But they said, if you go to the top of the mountain, you, have, you can see the Continental Divide. I thought, I've never seen the Continental Divide. I want to see the Continental Divide. So I went to the top of the mountain. I don't know what the Continental Divide still is today. I guess it's out there somewhere. I didn't see it, but all I quickly realized is that I have to get down the mountain now, and I can't ski very well at all. And so my little bunny mountain experiences didn't help me, and I just, it was a bigger mountain than I should have been on, and it took me hours to get down this silly mountain. And all the fast people would go by, and they would yell at me to get out of their way. They would yell at me that, what are you doing up here? I was like, oh, I don't want to be here. I want to go down. If you'll help me, I'll go down with you. I put me on your back and take me down the hill. I just want to be down from here. And it was the most discouraging few hours of my life because it was just failure after failure after failure and finally got to the bottom and I was exhausted and worn out and defeated and thought I can't wait to go back to Iowa to ski because it's easy there right and so when Paul um, comes into our life and, and, and sends Tychicus to encourage these Christians he, he knows that the Christian life can sometimes feel like that right it, it seems like a lot of failure I'm trying I fail I try and I fail I try and I fail and and how do we respond to each other in those moments it's that encouragement that Paul sends Tychicus to, to reinforce. And I love what Paul would also write in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 when he would say, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle or disruptive, but encourage the disheartened. Help the weak and be patient with everyone. Now, when I was coming down the Silly Mountain, there were a lot of people who were warning those who were, I was idle and disruptive apparently because they kept warning me firmly. It's like, get off our mountain. And I couldn't do it because I needed someone because I was disheartened. I needed someone to encourage me. 
I was very weak. I need someone to help me. And I was just needing patience from somebody. And I will bet that there is somebody in your life who needs that. They need you to be Tychicus and to come and to walk beside them. It may be the people in your home. I guarantee it's the people in your home first who need you to be an encouragement, just to speak words that remind them of who they are in Christ and to guide them and encourage them and maybe even hold them accountable to, hey, this is how we walk in Jesus. But through all of it, know that there's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. And the strength to do all of this does not come from you. It comes as you stand with Christ and you begin to put on this armor of, uh, of salvation, of faith, of the word, of prayer, of, uh, of, of Christ's righteousness, not my own. And all the things that Christ gives to us in that Ephesians chapter 6. It's never easy. But I, I would just encourage you today that... The world today needs encouragement, right? You need it. And I pray that God will provide that to you through the people around you. But as I said a couple weeks ago, when we used the whole um, submissive passage, I'll just ask the same question again is who's going to go first? You be the encourager. You be the one who speaks truth, God's truth, over the lives of the people you know and love. You be the one who, who lives, tries to live the life and set an example and encourage others to do so as well, lovingly and patiently and, and uh, with all the love and encouragement you can give them. Um, you be the person who, who, who is in the, at the end of Romans 6, Paul just emphasizes six different times the importance of praying for each other, of praying for those who speak the word of God. If he says it this way. I'll just read it for you instead of bumbling it. How about this? Uh, Romans chapter, Ephesians chapter 6, verse uh, 19 or 18. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul emphasized the need for us to be a praying, to be a word-learning, word-knowing people uh, who stand behind our shield of faith, who put on the helmet of salvation, who hold on to the peace of God, who hold on to the righteousness of Christ, and, and who hide behind that and not our own righteousness. And so the encouragement is, is what we need. I'll use another running illustration. I heard several things this week about one thing they will never do is they will never marry into a family that goes for a 5K run on Thanksgiving morning. Well, apparently, I'm one of those people you should avoid because three or four of us got up and ran, went to Jeff City and ran in a 5K on, uh, on Thursday morning. You eat you have a lot less guilt when you eat all that food if you've already exercised in the day, so I don't know what the big deal is. But uh, So I went and we ran and... and um, I'm slower and slower by the minute in my running career. And so uh, there was just people along the way. But my favorite thing in any race is the people who run fast, who don't go eat donuts and bananas, which you can do, um, but those who turn around and then come back and begin to look for friends and family. And they walk all the way back. They may have to walk several miles to catch up with us slow folks, slow pokes and fo slow folks. Um, but they just walk all the way back so that they can finish the race again with somebody else. And I think that's the encouragement that Paul is picturing us, uh, picturing for us in this. And so maybe your your maturity level is uh, that where you you, you kind of got this figured out. You don't you don't not arrogantly, but you you're mature and you're growing. And I bet you there are people around you who say, hey, just come back and, and walk with me, help me, encourage me. 
And so it's my prayer for us today that God would open our eyes to see those around us who need that encouragement and that we would be intentional, um, that we would be intentional encouragers, that we would say words, that we would demonstrate through our actions, that we would demonstrate through our prayers and through the things that, that we can do for others, um, the actions that will encourage people to be better Christians.